A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on Sim. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights were probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 429. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Nobody's House. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Yes, we are in 1976. We have a seven-part, 25 minutes per episode children's series from ITV's Tyne Tees Network, and it has perhaps a not unfamiliar setup, which is too modern for that period of time, children, discovering that their old house they've moved into is haunted by the ghost of a Victorian workhouse boy, the titular nobody of the title. Yes, and this is a nice slice of 1970s children's adventure TV that, as some of these did, teaches us something about the past, because we're meeting the ghost of this Victorian workhouse boy and learning about some of the problems of how people were treated at that time. And somewhat unusually for something like this, this is seven standalone episodes. It's not a serialized thing as we have with some of them. And we're going to get some more ghosts crop up along the way in those seven episodes. Yes, absolutely. So there are other characters other ghosts that nobody this victorian ghost of a young boy is called nobody he doesn't have another name or doesn't remember his name possibly and he brings other ghosts into the sinclair home this haunted house out in the country so we have jack treadful played by none other than brian blessed with blessed bringing his typical bluster to things as a master thief, possibly Fagin-like, and yeah, nobody brings him from the police station or police center that he haunts over to to their house, and you see things like that. Then we get the actress Annabel Lanyon playing a character called Miss Beatrice Ellen, a rather unhappy very young lady who lived in a house that nobody had worked in the kitchens of for a while. And she is an unhappy ghost. She is rather sort of snobbish and strict and unhappy. She's stealing Jilly's dolls all the while. And that episode features rather an interesting resolution, which, without giving too many spoilers, we get the suggestion that if the ghost perhaps achieves a certain state of happiness and contentment, then they might be able to move on, it would seem, Brian. An interesting development, anyway. Yeah, they get just a little bit into that kind of mythos, but don't use it too much because, you know, it just isn't the, the show for that. But that comparison with the two Victorian children, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. And then in the final episode, we get a very literally colourful character, the meanest ghost of them all, Silver Ned, played by John. Sanderson arriving to take over this haunting, to take over the house 
from nobody. There's a whole plot and the reason why that is being done. But I should mention this is also the episode that features a ghost hunter, a sort of very 1970s sort of psychical research society character played by Brian Wilde from Porridge turns up to sort of ghost bust the house and to exorcise it. They even mention exorcism, which of course was another 70s obsession of sorts. Yes, absolutely. That was coming up a lot in these sort of ghostly television shows, but also in horror movies of the era. Now, we've hinted or suggested that this is a sort of, some aspects of this is an educational show for children in which nobody can tell the modern children something about the life of a ragamuffin boy in Victorian times, a boy who's going to die in a workhouse. But also, it's interesting that it seems to go a bit further than that, Brian, because it also sort of gets into the unhappiness, the sort of the misery of his life, and also the misery of his sort of life as a ghost. He's been a lonely character in this abandoned house for quite some time. Yes, that's right. And it's a fairly light show in a lot of ways, but it does try to get some of these reflections about Victorian times and how people in these workhouses were were treated. And yeah, we get into the loneliness of that life and then the loneliness extending uh, beyond that and dealing with some of that from the other ghosts as well, where we have these various Victorian ghosts all of whom seem to be, you know, unhappy and coming out of rather unpleasant lives. We also get the idea that Tom and Jilly are so distracted and involved with this ghost that they aren't making friends at their new school, having moved out to the country. So I guess maybe that's riffing on the idea of being too inwardly focused or imaginary friends or something like that but there was some something of that in there and they have something where they try to work on that at one point as well because the Sinclair's parents have noticed they talk about it in the you know in the, at the family kitchen that the children seem distracted they seem to be always wanting to run off to their rooms and get up to whatever it is they're doing. And they don't seem to be that involved in the activities outside the house. Because obviously, the parents don't know, but they are being distracted by nobody and the cast of other ghosts that nobody introduces them to. Yes, absolutely. So again, it's this classic idea that the children know what's going on and the parents don't. And the parents are always trying to figure out what's wrong and what's going on. And of course, they'll never know exactly what is going on. Now, the other thing I noticed about this show was that we have covered a few shows about children encountering ghostly experiences in the houses that they move into. Something about the 1970s and 1980s that features these old ghosts, sometimes with an element of time slip, a trope that we've come back to many a time. I picked out a show that we've covered reasonably recently, The Georgian House, also from 1976, and then also the Clifton House mystery that was a couple of years later, 1978. Two more shows that sort of dealt with this sort of partly historical and partly just ghostly stuff going on in a house. 
Yes, absolutely. The Georgian house really got into the historical stuff and did some very interesting things with that. Unfortunately, a lot of it is missing, so it's a little hard to look at at this point. But it was more about time travel rather than about ghosts, but it definitely was tied to that house. And the Clifton House mystery, yeah, really getting into the ghostly stuff in that way with sort of the haunted house and the children as well. Moving into the 80s, there was The Children of the Green No, based on a series of novels, and that certainly gets into children and ghosts, and so did Moondial, which was getting into some of the time travel type things there as well. So those two were 86 and 88, so getting more into the last half of the 80s. And there's another show called Come Back Lucy, which we haven't covered yet, although it's had a fairly recent DVD release and therefore is on our list of possibles for the future. But that has got a similar theme with a young girl moving into a house and discovering that it is haunted by another child. We may come back to that at some point in the future. Yeah, so it does make us wonder why this was a pretty common thing of, you know, children seeing ghosts and elements of the past in the 70s and 80s. But it does seem that it was part of the style of how things were done then, and that's sort of interesting. It is interesting. It fascinated me. I mean, I think part of it, Brian, is the sort of the, the choosing it as a device to teach the television audience a little bit about history. But I also wondered if there's a little bit of social change going on in the 70s and the 80s, particularly the sort of idea that people were looking to buy old houses and do them up. There was a lot more interest in sort of renovating old properties. There was the probably the expansion of the middle class. There was this idea that sort of hinted out with the Sinclairs that they want to escape the rat race and get to their home in the country. Of course, there's a famous show from the 1970s, not really within our remit, but the the comedy show The Good Life, which was the ultimate self-sufficiency show from the 1970s. And here we have the Sinclairs getting away from the hubbub of London, coming to the, the north somewhere to live in the country and have this big house that they can afford and do up. So... I don't know if I've got enough data points for this argument, Brian, but I just I was interested in why we've seen this quite a lot in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, we do see quite a bit of that sort of thing. And in the idea of escaping the rat race going to the country, the one that I thought of was from an anthology show we covered, Dead of Night, the episode The Exorcism, which was very much about people buying and moving to this house in the country and making something very fancy and upscale out of what had been a poor person's uh, residence. And I think part of what may be going on with a lot of these is a reevaluation and a focus on issues and differences of class. And, you know, there had been quite a few things with a sort of glorification of the Victorian era as this kind of wonderful time as portrayed in things like Sherlock Holmes and many other things 
that tend to look at people who are quite well off and then we're sort of moving with things like nobody's house where they're shining a light on the fact that for a lot of people it was a quite terrible time and you know you had people dying in workhouses and so on yes and it's interesting you mentioned the georgian house which of course looked at a very uh, difficult and unpleasant part of british history there's a certain amount of bravery i think in the creators in choosing this device to teach kids some sort of like uh, bits of difficult history i guess yes the georgian house going back even further and looking at the british role in the slave trade so that was particularly shining a light on very difficult material and what we have in this production in nobody's house is doing something maybe not quite as hard-hitting but i think for younger children compared to that so interesting little sort of side topic but if you if you know of any other shows that fit this general idea from this period or if you've got any other sort of evidence or thoughts about the sort of social aspects of this device in children's television then drop by the facebook group come and find us on twitter or drop us an email and let us know absolutely so i think we should talk about some of our own thoughts about this more than we already have so Eamon, what did you like about nobody's house i like the setup i think it's a charming little show in a way that it does this thing of teaching its audience something about history and also teaching its audience something about what it would be like to be a boy in a Victorian workhouse and then also to be a ghost and to experience loneliness in that way. So the setup of it I quite like, Brian. What about yourself? I would agree. I think the setup was good. It has quite a bit that it allows you to do. I will say that I quite liked the ghosts in this, that we had not just nobody, but we had a series of them. And we had different types of characters from the past who were all troubled in different ways. And they used that to paint a picture of the, the Victorian era and a fairly gritty one rather than the sort of slightly glorified one that we see in some things. So I liked how they did that, how they used the different ghosts to show us aspects of the past. And there's that interesting contrast between the two child ghosts from the Victorian era that we see with obviously nobody himself, but also the character of Miss Beatrice, Brian. Yes, that was interesting because they showed us this working class ghost nobody who was very much in you know very difficult circumstances and ultimately didn't survive them you know in these workhouses and then you had the sort of young young woman who was very much part of the gentry and had all of this privilege but was still troubled and still very limited in how she could live her life as well and i don't think they painted those two things as equivalent but they used it to show that the victorian era was not all fun and games it had problems all over the place very much so now you've mentioned it brings in new ghosts along the way so that gives us some guest appearances as well obviously brian blessed 
stands out in most things he's in. Another colourful performance from him. But the performances generally, Brian? Yeah, I think most of them were okay. I think William Gaunt was a standout performer in this. And many of the guest appearances by the different ghosts were, were also quite good. The children, the three children, were okay. I thought they were sort of good enough. I didn't think they were standout performances, but I thought they were okay. Okay. I also liked that there was this idea of the sort of modern family in the mid-1970s. Dad's come out of the rat race and his horrible office job to do his antiques business. Mom's had to go back out to work as a staff nurse in the local hospital to sort of help with the money coming in, help with the restoration of the house. There was something, there's something interesting in that depiction of this family. They're quite a solid little unit in a way. Yes, that's true. And yeah, getting a little bit more into the negatives of this, the portrayal of the the mother in this, she was sort of expected to do everything. She was working odd hours and sort of running the household and expected to do baking and make cakes and all sorts of things at the drop of a hat. So that I noticed as being a little bit dated in this, shall we say, being slightly generous there. Right. But still, yes, but Wendy Gifford at least is watchable and enjoyable on screen. You know, I quite like the idea that she is this sort of thoroughly dependable mother who can do everything. But as you say, they do the family just rely on her, take her for granted to a great extent. Yes, that was definitely something that I noticed in this. The writing of the show and this sort of episodic nature that it's not got an ongoing story. It has sort of, as you say, mostly just standalone story of the week. Yeah, it was sort of ghost of the week or incident of the week that nobody would foil a burglar or somehow get them out of some problem like the fire we mentioned at the beginning of the series and it would have to happen in some way that the parents never figured out yeah now interestingly when i started watching this series and this is the first time i've ever seen it because i don't remember it from its original broadcast but when I started watching it, I thought that they were going to do something more with Dad as the antiques dealer and objects from the past. And I thought it might almost get, dare I say it, like Bagpuss in a certain extent, that there might be an object of the week and that it would be an opportunity for, for nobody to teach the kids and in you know doing so the father a little bit about the history of the object and the part the social history that that might represent but actually they sort of they move away from that towards you know as the series goes on yeah they don't do a lot with the idea of the antiques business looking at objects from the past and yeah you could almost get into like a sapphire and steel type thing of objects being imbued with something very important but that tends to be more in the background and they don't do a lot with it they do more with other ghosts showing up and sort of day-to-day incidents of things and coming up with ways for nobody to be involved in a party as a friend from school so the the parents can can see him and not know that he's a ghost and so on you know they're getting into these sorts of things yeah i mean the last episode doing something interesting like that breaking out of just the four central the five central characters 
it almost, well, it makes me wonder why it didn't get a second series in a way, because I think they might have been able to explore this more in another series, maybe objects from the past or maybe other ghosts, but we just get the one series of seven episodes and I presume it was you know, the reception was okay, but nothing great. So they didn't get a second. Yeah, there is some potential there. But I think on the whole, it's a little bit slight and it's kind of unremarkable. You know, it's all right, but it isn't something that stands out as being a classic or doing something remarkable. It isn't going as far with its history and teaching and the like as the Georgian House does, which was remarkable for doing that. And it doesn't take the haunting things and the children getting involved in hauntings to the level that the Clifton House mystery does. It's a more sort of basic, straightforward thing what they end up doing with it. So I could see how it was not something that there was a lot of interest in continuing. Right. I mean, I've mentioned that my interest in whether these type of shows reflect the middle class moving from the cities into the country for their sort of, you know, escape from the rat race and do up their dream cottage or their dream house. The downside of that, of course, is that this show is rather middle class and white in its depiction, its characters, and they're all just basically on sets. There's no getting out into the wider world either. So there are some limitations, aren't there? Yes, and you do get the idea of people moving, you know, the middle class moving out to the country. You do get that idea as an influence and the idea of reflecting on the past and showing how terrible things could be in the past. You get that as an influence there too. And they did some nice things with it, but it didn't go far enough to be remarkable or to be something I think that you would really want to do more with. It was something that's sort of an okay children's show that you could see how it would be entertaining for kids at the time. I'll also mention while we're in the minors, the sort of the, the negative column, that there is one I noted use of a sort of very casual use of a derogatory term that would no longer be acceptable on television. Yeah. Which was sort of used rather casually in this show. Contact us if you need more details about that. Yeah, it's sort of of its time, but I think, you know, not uh, not a standout. No. So shall we go to our recommendations? We should. And I'm thinking it's probably your turn to start, Brian. Yeah, so I am not going to recommend this. It is okay. It does some things that are a little bit entertaining as a kid's show at the time, but not a particularly memorable one and not particularly remarkable. So I am not going to recommend this. I'm going to be the same, I think, Brian, but I'm going to strangely say that if it had got a second series, I might actually have found more to recommend about this show because I think there was the opportunity to do something interesting here. But at the end, it just all becomes very minor and very slight and doesn't even give us enough of the history and the difficulties of that period of time in the workhouse. So you're quite right. The Georgian house 
is far more important and interesting and Clifton House Mystery also as well in that bracket. I've got high hopes for Comeback Lucy, which we may get to in the future. But for the moment, for Nobody's House, yeah, it's a sort of double thumbs down from us here on British Invaders. But if you remember the show or if you've watched it more recently with the DVD release, then do get in touch and let us know what you think. Yes, absolutely. So, in summary, Nobody's House introduced us to a middle-class family who were moving out to the country and buying this house that was very hard to sell, that no one wanted to live in. And they would be starting a new antique store in that house and living there as well. And the house is, of course, haunted, and we meet this ghost a young boy known only as nobody and these two children in this family meet the ghost and are able to have some adventures and learn some things about the difficulties of the past and meet some other ghosts all along the way interesting stuff and please come back and join us next time it's time for our yearly spin-off episodes where we look at one of the shows we've covered and as it expands into another medium and this allows me to say three of the most exciting words in British television history because I get to say Thunderbirds are go as we are looking at Thunderbirds on the big screen Thunderbirds goes to the movies next time on British Invaders yes and those movies of course were from 1966 1968 and 2004 so it will be uh fun variety to get to next time indeed until then you can find all of our episodes going back to the very beginning at britishinvaders.com and if you search for britishinvaders.com on facebook you can find our group there and you can follow us on twitter we are at brit invaders pod so please come along and Join the conversations on Facebook and Twitter. Yes, please do come and give us a follow or find us on Facebook. And come and find us at the Voice of Geeks Network, which you will find at vognetwork.com. That's the Voice of Geeks for podcasts, for gaming content, for all sorts of geek-related stuff. Come and join us there at vognetwork.com. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for listening. And this is Brian from Canada signing off. Yes, until next time, it's Eamon in England also signing off and saying, nobody is home.